This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Welcome in to another edition of the Winning Plays Podcast. My name is Brian Robb, joined today by the one and only Brandon Jackson, B-Jax, formerly of Celtics Hub. This episode of the Winning Plays Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Head on over to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get your first no-sweat first bet. As we begin to start what will be a long deep dive into this Celtics offseason the next few weeks leading into the draft, free agency, likely some deals going on, and Celtics fans watching the NBA Finals in a bit of uh, pain here. But Jax, first off, you're three games in the finals right now. What are what are our hot? Do we have any hot finals takes right now to get us to get us going? Um, well, I th- I thought game two was very surprising because I in my head, I was like, there's no way this heat team matches up with uh, the Nugs at all. And so I then I just think back to, well, if the Celtics did win game seven, how much of a bloodbath would have that been <laughs> if the seas weren't prepared to you know, beat the heat where it, on paper, it felt like the Seas just had a much better team. They had the star power. They had a more complete team, deeper team. Uh, uh, again, like uh, highly touted team. Uh, and then to come up against the Nuggets, who just have completely overpowered the Heat. It's just like, wow, we we kind of dodged a, a bloodbath there, I think. Yeah, it's funny you say that because it's like part of me wonders – like looking back at it now, like the Celtics Nuggets, like they've played well, like those have been entertaining matchups on paper in the regular season. And I wonder the, the lack, the, the respect probably would have been there more from jump street with this team. You would think with the Nuggets with Jokic and Murray compared to the, the heat where clearly that was part of the equation of how, why they fell down by Oh three in that series and how they dropped those first two games at home. when they were just, they were like just completely disrespecting the Caleb Martins of the world. Um, but at the same time, you're right. Like in terms of like a, a finely tuned machine right now, the Nuggets like appear to be that they sent a match in game three. I don't know, like the Heat could have a counter coming up regardless, but it is it does make you wonder if it would have been an ugly sight for the Celtics if they didn't have their stuff together. Yeah, I think I think the problem is the Heat play very hard and they run an uh, an offense with different encounters i mean when they have when they have duncan robinson diving to the basket for layups right when he's like on paper just a three-point specialist you're sort of like oh wow this heat team is actually running stuff that can beat you and then to lose by like 15 convincingly by 15 points to the nugs like it's like wow they just don't it's it's sort of a star power thing it's like it's jokic can literally do whatever he wants on the court at all times and then the seas go back it's like the seas have had success against the nuggets in the past but they haven't played jamal murray in like over a year so and he's playing great so it's like that 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 just absolutely would have scared me had they uh had they matched up this iteration right this sort of mindset of the seas team i'm not thinking i'm not talking about the ideal what we think this celtics team should have been this version this year's playoffs which which even before the heat series there were there were issues there that were you know this didn't look like last year's postseason team where the defense was there throughout. This was a team where it was, you know, trick or treat for a lot of these nights in the postseason. But the the one main news nugget we're getting to before talking more about the the offseason right now, Jax, is Celtics making an addition to their coaching staff this week. 2008 NBA champion Sam Cassell. And I forgot that 
the three-time NBA champion, Sam Fazil, that he was on those Rockets teams at the beginning of his career back in 94, 95, which is like just crazy. It's so crazy it. how fun because I think of him as a uh, as a buck. You know, I think right. of him as like know, Ray Allen, like, Tim Thomas, uh yeah, that's uh, thrown away dog. from that 2000 East Finals, whatever it was, where they they lost to the, the Sixers and there was all the the hoopla about the the refs in those series. Exactly. Like that's where I think of Sam Cassell, but like that's how that's what I love about the sort of signing as a coach is that he's been around the league that long. You know, he's been, you know, with really good players for like 30 years, <laughs> whether it be playing with winning titles, coaching. And he wasn't like, obviously the best player on, on any of the teams he's ever been on, but he's definitely been like very, very solid and respected. Um, so I, I like it on paper, but I like a lot of things that do the C's do on paper, whether or not he has any influence over the locker room or Joe Missoula that remains to be seen. <laughs> for sure. And I mean, the as far as the players go, it seems like, and, you know, Jalen and Jason kind of talked about it before last season, like how much they wanted a hire like Emei in the first place a couple years ago because they wanted that, you know, that bad cop, if you will. They wanted the former player, it seemed like, that got on their face. And it seemed like they responded to that stuff. Joe Mazzula was not that guy. And for you, everyone has their own style. You, like, he's not a former NBA player. So he, it, that's just not within his DNA necessarily, at least publicly. But it seems like Cassell, when you just talk about the, the, the range of the way his like former teammates talk about him. And now the fact that, I mean, he's been under doc for, it seems like the last eight to 10 years now. So he should be able to kind of carry that gravitas to that group right away in this, in this system. And hopefully maybe make up what they lost in Sotomayor back in March there. And and that's the thing, but that goes back to what I said before, why I love it on paper, but it's not like those 76ers teams really, you know, even reached expectations, let alone exceeded expectations. So, I mean, it's like, it's one of those things where like, as much as I like to get on Joe Missoula for being very young, very green, uh, doing things that I, you know, not calling timeouts, just doing things that like, I really think are sort of baseline NBA coach, things that you do and then you tweak around the edges whereas he sort of like come in and wanted to establish his own thing against the grain um the sixers sort of did the opposite they got the established coach they got the players coach they got the guy who will you know blow him up on the media former player gritty guy and doc rivers who's won a championship and that hasn't worked either so <laughs> it's sort of like well dogs tracker <laughs> at this point it's like that OH championship seems like a long, long time ago. Yeah, it seems like a long, long time ago. And and it's funny because when we when the Celtics first hired him, I was a little skeptical too, because I didn't think his Orlando teams were that good anyway. Um, and then obviously he absolutely struck gold with his players, but also just the way he meshed with his players. I don't want to take that away from him. You know, obviously he had all world players and Paul and KG and Ray Allen and Rondo, and then a great supporting cast, Sam Cassell. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but he, but he, he did like really connect with them and they, they, they caught right. something that year that was amazing. And, you know, if it weren't for perk and um, I'm not saying I'm not guaranteeing I'm not crazy like they are, you know, they're obsessed with saying if perk didn't get injured. You know, there's another title title they left on the table there with injuries. Like, I think the ti- I I think it wasn't even that one. I think it was the 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 Shaq year for sure. Like I yeah. like a lot of people say the one they lost to Orlando in the uh, Eastern Conference finals was the year. 
I think the next year was the year. I think, I think just not having the right, uh, the right horses, you know, they should have, they, they should have done what they, what the Celtics did with Rob Williams this year and not play Shaq. Yeah. Right. Just put him on ice in the regular season. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's funny. You you think about teams like that now, like 10 years later, how much, you know, the Spurs were kind of on it at that point, but no one, no one of these other teams were. And, and it came back to bite that team, especially in uh, a lot of those playoff series. But yeah, the, it is from like the the doc standpoint. You, I, I just wonder, you know, for Sam Cassell now, who has been pretty much a doc guy coming up, pretty much, you know, obviously going back to away here, like what he, and it makes sense for him for an opportunity for him to take this. I'm sure he was highly in demand on the market, but this is a place where he can, you know, he's been waiting his turn. He's interviewed a bunch of places as a head coaching job, hasn't gotten it yet, but this is a, a clear opportunity for him. Because it's like, okay, if you you get this team over the hump in the next year or two, that's going to lead a job for you. And if you don't, or if things don't go right here, you might be the guy that they turn to if they need to make right. a change. So yeah, I, I heard you say that. I forget. I think it was the off the pike pod I was listening to. I just yeah, stalk yeah. you. I just stalk you on all, <laughs> all the pods you're on. But um, yeah, no, that was such a good point. It's like he's kind of in the catbird seat. Um, because I think he is the first person to be interim if uh, if yeah. if it really starts to go south with Joe Missoula. Um, so we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm not again like these are real people with real lives and real jobs. So I'm not trying to like absolutely blow up Joe Missoula. I just but I just personally have not been happy with the job he has done. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, you got to get the app. The app's the way to go. It is so easy to use. You get great promotions every day with the app. It's safe and secure, and you get paid instantly. How about that instant cash with the FanDuel app? There's no better place to bet all your playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issue is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Gamblinghelplinema.org, or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, 
or text HOPE NY at 467369 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Now let's get back to the show. Well, I think it's <laughs> it's fair to say after the way things played out this past year and some of the, I mean, the philosophy, we'll get into the offense stuff later, but like the the late game management stuff, like clearly, and he'll learn from it and there's stuff, but the his philosophy on a few of those things, there needs to be someone on that bench who's at least talking him through that stuff more, at least getting through to him being like, listen, this is, and that's not him if like they need to have, you know, whether he was, I don't know who knows what it was happening with the assistants at that point and whether he, you know, clearly, you know, he admitted his mistakes on a couple of those situations, whether it was, you know, game four against Philly or running with the wrong guys game two against the heat at the end of that game for a lot of the crunch time there. But you'd hope that, you know, he gives this type of higher state of approval. Maybe like a guy like Cassell is going to be able to, you know, get through to him more in those spots and help make those, some of those tough decisions a little easier. I think, yeah, it's interesting. You say that like, you bring up like the rotation stuff because one of the things I worry about is you can hire Sam Cassell, right? And you can have the the pedigree and the experience and the respect. Um, but if Joe is not going to play Derek White in crunch time, or he's not going to play Peyton Pritchard or uh, Grant Williams in the in the playoffs consistently, then then what's the point? It's not going to matter, you know. It's like it's just it, yeah. So that those are sort of again you hope he he learns lessons and and listen he might have been right right we'll never know like maybe they weren't maybe they weren't good <laughs> it's hard to say grant wasn't because every time he plays it's it's like it's like he does something really impactful <laughs> but we'll never know yeah, we'll never know for that but we were so looking big picture now we heard from brad stevens last week we we know that the assistant coach situation was one step here as far as the the big picture for this changes for this off season, but he pointed to more of, of tweaks around the edges and stuff for next season. I thought you made a, a pretty interesting point when we were talking this past week about the roster in the postseason and what things were kind of left with there against the heat at the end of the road. They're looking at to work towards what some of these other teams were able to do this postseason. And the fact that this team's only addition at the trade deadline was Mike Muscala, who did not play a meaningful minute in the postseason all year. What it, what was your big, you know, big picture look at that now in hindsight, especially with how like this new CBA is looking at? Yeah, thanks. And and like hindsight is twenty twenty. It's the big caveat, but it's I just think it's brutal to go into the trade deadline having a chance just because the the trade deadline was like a little, it was just weird this year. It was like guys were going for nothing. And it's like, you got someone, for, you got Mike Muscala for almost nothing, um, but you didn't play him. You know, you, you got a, you got a basically a 14th man. You traded your 15th man for a 14th man, you know, and Justin Jackson. And uh, it, you could have uh, traded nothing for a guy like Sadiq Bay or Jared Vanderbilt, who, you know, Vanderbilt, I think, is a little bit more of a flawed player, but a guy, a lot, but a super long wing defender who can rebound could have helped the Celtics against the Heat. Um, 
also maybe could have protected Brogdon a little bit uh, from, you know, higher usage. I, you know, who knows how he got that injury. Maybe, maybe he was going to be injured anyway. Um, and obviously when the Celtics lost their three point shooting, having a guy like Sadiq Bay stand in the corner and hit threes and being able to being a sort of wing defender, that would have been helpful. And those are two guys, I think, on like their last years or their second to last years or their rookie deals. So even if you had them and lost them for nothing, well, who cares? You know, you could have been could have been in the finals with those guys. Yeah, I think it's um, with Bay, like both of those guys are on bargain contracts that are going to go through next season. And they were pretty much, I mean, Vanderbilt was part of a bigger deal with a lot of moving parts. Um, but he, his value within that deal, but, like was not, was not substantial. Like he yeah, wasn't was a throw in, a first time. He was a throw in. Like you would have, yeah. you could have had him for like beak was pretty much had for like four second round picks. And I think Vanderbilt probably was a similar price. Neither of those guys went for a first round pick. And so when you look at, you know, what, who Joe Mazzullo was playing there and like who he felt he, he could play, obviously not trusting Hauser, not trusting Pritchard, even when, when Brogdon was hurt, like, I think either of those guys would have been a step above them on the totem pole as far as um, size-wise or just experience-wise to be able to give them something. And now, moving forward now, would have made your life a little bit easier this offseason when you have another cheap part of the roster um, under wraps here and don't have to worry about, you know, finding the edges around that. So it is the fact that the trade deadline really isn't talked about now I think is um, not an oversight, but I think it, it should be looked at because when you come that close and injuries did pop up and you still were only playing seven or eight guys and right. half of those guys had nothing going on in game seven, if not more, and there was nowhere that Joe Mazzuth could turn to, then you have to be like, okay, why, why didn't we push in a little bit more here? But that speaks to me, that speaks to a disconnect between Brad and Joe because Obviously, Joe felt like he was he couldn't play Hauser or Pritchard in the playoffs. And so, and Brad, I think, did. I think he thought I think that was oh, a mistake, though, for the yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think for I, I, going back to what Ryan said at the last winning plays pod, like it was pretty clear you couldn't play Brogdon. For as good as Brogdon's been as his career, he gave you negative minutes. You know, he was he he was really couldn't guard anyone and he couldn't shoot after his arm injury. So it's like it, it was just it was brutal, you know. And so I think you absolutely should have gone to Hauser um, in those sort of second, third quarter, you know, try to play, try to play him 10 minutes a game try to get nine points out of them. I mean, that's only three threes for a dude who shoots like high 40, mid forties, you know, it's just like, it's not, you can say what you want about his defense. I, I think his, him being hunted and stuff is a little overplayed. I think, I think good teams find the weak link. Even if you had a team full of Marcus smarts, you know, they're, they're going to try to hunt someone, but this, the, um, you know, the heat got by with Struess and Lowry. So like, why couldn't you hide Hauser somewhere, you know? No, I think it's very, like, it's very, like, you didn't have, there wasn't even enough evaluation to give, like, he got a couple, like, five-minute stints, and and that was even in the, in the Hawks series, so it's like, it's really, you couldn't really gauge anything from that in terms of, like, what he's actually able to do, and it's tough when you're posting, but that's what happens when, you know, you put yourself in a bind in a lot of these spots, and so you never give your you know give yourself the opportunity 
give a guy like that a chance. But at the same time, there are many spots in the postseason where it's like, this is a good time to maybe look deeper in your bench. And so if, if, if Joe's not going to trust those guys, then you have to figure out, okay, what type of guys is he going to trust and what type of guys can we put in there to, to do it? And if those are the guys you want him to trust, then you need to, like you said, there might, there needs to be a better connect there in terms of being like, Hey, like Payne Pritchard played a lot of minutes last year for a team that went to the NBA finals and he wasn't the perfect player there, but he also like had some pretty big games. And I guess a lot of change about this team a year later, but like did Peyton Pritchard get that much worse this year where you can't even put him out? Like, I don't know. No, I think his shot got better and he's just a competitor. He fights for rebounds. He's, he's competitive on the defensive end. It's like really frustrating to see a guy like that sit on the bench when you got guys that don't look like they're competing hard. I don't want to say they're not because you know, it's really hard to be an NBA player, but like they don't look like they're trying as hard as they should. And you got guys that are ready to come in and try. So, I mean, look at a guy like Christian Brown last night for the Nuggets. Sure. Yep. That that was insane. And and granted, that could have been, you know, an aberration, right? But like... We had a bad game too, but then he bounced back. It's like one of those things where it's, you know, and, you can give him that chance. And I'll be completely honest. Like before I started watching the series, I had no idea who he was. Like, I'm not even going to lie. I was like, oh, he played at Kansas? Cool. I had no idea. You know, and it's like, I watched him play in that game too. Um and I was like, oh, this guy looks like he's like an unfocused ball of energy. And then when you see him actually connect, like last night, you're like, oh, it might look unfocused, but he's just playing hard. Like, and and the Celtics needed guys that were just going to play hard. I think you play hard, you compete on defense, you beat the Heat. And there, especially game seven, that was just a complete lie down. Like it, it just was. And it was, I, I, there's no like other kind way to say it. It just was, they just kind of gave up. So big picture now as we wrap up, for the off season, we'll get, I mean, there's much bigger questions in play here, but for now I want to like, from the bench perspective for you, like where, where do you go right now? If you're this team, if you're looking at <laughs> what you have under contract, which is pretty much everyone coming back outside of grant. um, You're obviously, I guess I'll, I'll put it to you on the guard front. Like, what do you do with smart white Brogdon Pritchard? I assume it's, I think it's fair to say all four of those guys will not be coming back next year. Um, do you do you just see what you can get for for Pritchard and try to use that to address a different part of the roster, or do you like to use one of those other salaries to maybe upgrade somewhere else and and keep Pritchard into that, move him into that third guard role? Um, I mean, I would love to see Pritchard get a chance because I I've told you this privately. I think, and this might be like too hot of a take. I think Pritchard's ceiling is like a Fred Van Vliet, like a very small, active scorer, active defender. Um, obviously, he's not as good as Fred Van Vliet now. You know, Van Vliet's got elite hands. I feel like I heard this end. during his rookie year, though. I feel like that. that oh, really? Was made like you know when he like came. Remember he came out of the gate like and was just like because he played during that right year, and everyone's like, "Wow, that that Pritchard guy, he can play," and then. Ever since then, it's kind of been like up and down for him from a just a playing time standpoint. So it's like it feels like miles like years away now where that happened. But you're just like, oh, yeah, like when if he was playing 30 minutes a game, you wonder like, oh, yeah, what 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 could he put up? Right. And maybe it's maybe I'm just not as novel as I thought I was. Uh, but no, it's, uh, maybe it was I mean, you. It's probably you who told me who made that comparison. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also pretty obvious. They're both like six feet tall. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's natural. You know, yeah, older vets, you know, older college players, right? right? They kind of line up. But um, 
I, I just like, I, it, it is frustrating because I would love to see him get a chance because I think he can score the ball. I think he's active. I think he's a, he's a gritty defender. Even if he's like, you know, even if he's not, obviously he has his athletic and, and size limitations, but he's not going to back down. And there's, there's definitely something qualitative about that in, in, in that you want on the team um, and in your rotation. Um, the problem is all the guys outside of Derek White, who I think should be untouchable. I think he's very important to this team. I don't see how you get an upgrade. Like, I don't know how you can upgrade. Like, who's going to want Peyton Pritchard? He doesn't play. So, right. like, unle- unless it's Danny in Utah, right? And Danny, <laughs> you know, Danny drafted him, right? Yep. So, oh, yeah. like, he sees something in him if he wants him. But there's no one on Utah. Maybe, you know, maybe it was Vanderbilt, right? That was sure. what people were sort of, sort of surmising um over the over last season and now Vanderbilt's gone so like I don't see anyone on the jazz that that he's going to want to flip you know for right. for Peyton Pritchard so and I don't and, and Brogdon I mean he, he has no value now I mean he he and I love Malcolm Brogdon but like the dude hasn't been healthy uh his whole career so mm-hmm. and he was and he got unhealthy despite playing being the sixth man and despite, you know, trying to watch his minutes, he got unhealthy at the worst possible time. You know, last year it was Rob this year it was, uh, it, it was Malcolm Brogdon next year. I mean, Al Horford's a year older grants grants probably gone. I, 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 you know, the only thing you're adding is, is a coming off injury Gallinari. So uh, I don't know, man, it's looking pretty bleak. <laughs> I'm not trying to be I, a dude. I mean, I think there, Grant. But... I think the, I think the odds are in favor of Grant coming back because I just I'm not sure he's going to get them. The there is an offer that would the Celtics would walk away from. I'm not sure he's going to get that. I mean, that Celtics obviously have to hope that he's not going to get that. But it's um, yeah, like you. But you have to at the same time. You have there'll be a lot of debate in terms of like, how much are, can we afford to give him long term too? Like that that whole, that's going to be a little rocky ground there. Um, I, I think a team that doesn't have a fourth guy who is maybe maybe on the precipice or doesn't like their fourth guy. Like, like um, you know, I, I don't know if this is necessarily an upgrade, but I feel like the Hawks have been trying to get rid of John Collins since he was drafted sure. by them. Yeah. So like, you know, it's like Grant would come in making less than John Collins. You right. know, John Collins, I think, was making like 20 million a year. I think Grant's looking at like 16. And the Hawks are probably like, that would be an upgrade because we would feel more comfortable playing a guy like Grant. So I'm not saying that's that's just like literally off the top of my head. And that's just one team, right? So like, I think there could be five teams that want to give Grant 16 mil a year. Is that is that the contract? Do you think six, like four for 16 plus 16 per? I think that's, I think that's what he's in for, for sure. I, I don't, I wonder if he's going to get, it's going to be something closer to the regular mid-level now, which is like 12 or 13 a year. And I think that's a number that the others can swallow hard and say, okay, that's we can deal with that because that's going to be a tradable contract on the line if we need it to be. And we can't but afford to lose them. I just – I don't understand why they're not more – I don't understand why he didn't play. I don't <laughs> understand why they're not trying to retain him. O- outside of – and I don't fully understand the the new cap rules. And I, I told you I was going to read Ryan's piece, and I haven't yet. And I'm trying to wrap my head around it, but – it seems like there are really hard penalties coming up for the Celtics if they resign everyone. Is that fair to say? Yeah, they won't be. They'll be coming like a year or two down the road. So that's yeah. the thing. It's like you can conceivably like what you can do is you can you know you can bring it all back now, maybe add some parts, but then that's going to make to tougher decisions a year from now, and then maybe a tougher 
trade market if you're looking to dump money then because everyone else is also probably going to be doing looking to do the same thing. So it's like, do you want to do the hard stuff now or do you want to hunt for like, like really push all in for a year or two? I presume that's what they're going to, they're going to try to do the way that Brad Stevens talked about it um, and whether or not they can try to do both um, by like, you know, maybe dumping some salary down and bringing back the guys you want to bring back. That's, that's going to be the question. I, and I think, and I, I don't think they're necessarily wrong, but they're in a really hard situation with Al going to be what 38 yeah. uh, by the end of next year and Rob a question mark, you know, Grant a question mark, maybe not coming back. Brogdon a question mark. Like they have a great team on paper, but they didn't have the horses to get it done this year. And the horses next year are older. And I, I read, I, I don't know. I, I should have checked the byline, but I just read mass lives update on Bagaran. He does not seem like he seems like he's going to get a chance, but he doesn't seem like he's going to be the yeah. savior. <laughs> no, I don't. And he actually just announced today he's signing with another team in France for the next two years. So my, oh. my guess is he's, you know, we're not, we won't be seeing him or Mr. Madar for the, those aren't going to be the, uh, the game changers for the 23, 24 season. It seems like they're done. I mean, does he have an NBA buyout for an after next season? Well, that's the question. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, but like, we'll find that out. It sounds like those, those draft and stash guys just didn't work out, which happens, right? They're second round right. picks. It's a gamble. It's fine. But like, well, they're young enough too, where they still like, you know, they might just not be ready till they're 24, 25, which happens for some guys, but you're right. It's yeah. Like they're it's, it's but, a flyer. It's, just, it's, but it's just, it's also like, you know, he's six, five wing player who doesn't shoot threes. Well, like you could get it, you you know, if you got Justin Holiday, a 36-year-old Justin Holiday or however old he is, it's probably an upgrade on <laughs> Bagger on right now. Right. And it's just, you know, I, I just I just don't see the Heat are incredibly lucky and skilled at getting those undrafted players that that are as good as they are. And let's be honest, if the Heat the Heat are skilled at finding those guys, but they're also like really lucky because if they if those guys, if the Heat knew those guys were going to be those guys, they would have drafted them. You know what I mean? Right. It's so, like, so I don't want to give them too much credit, but I want to give them the appropriate amount of credit. But like Gabe Vincent can play. Duncan Robinson can play. Max Struess can sort of play. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, and Caleb Martin obviously can play against the Celtics. So it's, it's, I don't see where you, I just don't see where you find those guys. And one more thing about Caleb Martin though, is like, obviously he could play offensively. He didn't really show it until the end of the season um, consistently, but there he had an edge. You know what I mean? He oh, was yeah. never afraid. Even like two years ago, you know, playing against him, like you could tell he just played with an edge. It's like, let's find that guy. I mean, Grant plays with an edge. Everyone was dogging him for getting in Jimmy Butler's face. And anyone who knows basketball loves that. Like, because no one in the seas was doing that stuff. They needed that and it didn't work out. But like, you know, at least someone was willing to to do that and not be scared, not back down. That's my soapbox. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, we'll see if those type of guys are, are back in uniform next year for this team. And that's going to be, I think, the biggest question, whether the grants of the world. And I think Pritchard is not like, you know, from an, uh, an effort and intensity, at least what it looks like compared to some other guys, like those, I think, this team would be well served having more of those guys on the floor next year. But that's what's a dream scenario in your mind? Like how how do you how do you see this team improve from the current roster they have? Ideally, I would think you resign Grant, bring back Pritchard, and 
trade Brogdon for another upgrade for a part of the roster, or at least something else. Some you're not going to upgrade for him, but you're going to get at least some are the two guys that help you in other parts of the roster, hmm. and you kind of go from there. Yeah, so I, I just like. I think my homework for the next pod is going to be to scour rosters and look for guys that would come in like in match salaries with Brogdon or somewhere before, you know, less than that. But I, again, I just don't, I think Brogdon's value as much as I love him as a player, I think he's incredibly valuable. He's steady. He's a very good offensive player. His defense, I think has slipped as he's gotten older and injured. Um, I, I think his value is at an all time low. So you might have to give up something of value to get, to get off his contract, but also get something back. And that to me just right. doesn't, it just, it, it gives me, I just, it's, it's going to be really hard. <laughs> it's why they paid a lot I don't of money. Think there's, I guess. <laughs> there's not going to be finding a slam dunk deal on that front. It's going to be tough. And then you have to make a choice being like, okay, do we get Brogdon back for another year here and move on from Pritchard and make some other tweaks there? Or can we, is it worth giving up something with Brogdon to get, maybe the the better fit for a sixth or seventh man on this roster, which is funny to say about the sixth man of the year, but even <laughs> before he got hurt in the playoffs, he was not that guy. So that's, um, I mean, that's going to be a, something that we're going to have plenty of time to dig into. We got draft come up in two weeks, Jax. We got Ooh. free agency coming up in three weeks. Things are going to get busy around here. We'll keep out here at the winning plays pod with, with Bjax, with Ryan, and Forsberg, a whole other host of characters throughout the summer here. So, in the meantime, rate, review, subscribe to us here at the Winning Place Pod. And Jax, thanks for coming on. Thanks, B. And we'll we'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>